0: Hello, my name is Colin Donnell, and you are listening to episode two of The Run Loop, a weekly discussion about developing and designing iOS and Mac apps. Today's guest is Manton Reese. Manton, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, Thanks for being here. Um, So I thought we would maybe just start with, you know, tell people who you are and how they might
1: know you and go from there. Sure. My name is Manton Reese. I used to describe myself as a Mac developer. These days, don't write enough Mac software. But I'm an iOS developer, web developer. That's where I spend most of my time these days. And you might have known me from the Core Intuition uh, podcast that I do with Daniel Jalkut, or my blog, manton.org. Or maybe you're hearing my voice for the first time, which is fine, too. Hello.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think... I first actually, I definitely first heard about you from Core Intuition, uh, which I think you guys have been doing for like 10 years now, probably. I
1: think almost 10. Yeah, I want to say eight or nine, probably nine, because I feel like if we had hit the 10-year mark, we would have celebrated it. So I don't think we're quite there yet, but almost.
0: I feel like the iOS, the iPhone SDK did not exist when you started.
1: That's true. In fact, I think we recorded our first episode right before WWDC. Possibly, when they, yeah, when they announced the App Store, possibly is somewhere around that that time. Yeah,
0: yeah, I think you guys might be coming up on ten years uh, because I remember when I remember specifically listening to you guys when I was working at the Sacramento Convention Center, running sound for them, being like, "I'm going to be a Mac developer someday." <laughs> All right, and um, so definitely iPhone SDK had not come out yet because otherwise I would have that would have been my job. Right. Um,
1: yeah, you're probably right. It probably be 10 years in June. That would be my guess.
0: Yeah. So that's pretty cool. You guys are like um, you know, like a formational podcast of the, you know, Mac iOS development scene.
1: Oh, thanks. Yeah, it's it's super fun still to do and it, you know when we started there weren't a lot of podcasts, but we still kind of wondered, like, does the world need another podcast? And the answer is yes. It always needs more podcasts. And, you know, now there's so many great podcasts and there's new ones like this one, just starting up, which is great. Uh, Great to add more voices to the community and, you know, more thing, more choices for people to subscribe to.
0: For sure. I mean, I I think I I totally agree. Uh, And then I think I first met you probably... I think the first time I met you was in Austin, which is where you live, yep. at uh, 360 iDev around 2010.
1: Oh, yeah. yeah. Right, yeah. So that was the, I think 360 iDev's only been in Austin once, um, but I was at that one. If it if it's come back another time, I, I missed it. But I think it was just that one time and had a great time. It was a really fun conference to have in Austin.
0: Yeah, I, I remember, uh, no, I remember it was... Uh, because I remember you sent me an email afterwards, you're like, hey, it was great meeting you. And I was like, oh, I'm such a nice guy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's what I was actually good about, following up with people probably. Now I, I meet people, and I try to remember to send them an email, and I'm not always successful. So yeah. I'm glad wow. to hear that I actually did that.
0: Yeah, no, um, I remember very specifically. Uh, cool. Okay, so... The other thing people might know you from, uh, you know, before we get into the main thing, obviously, which is Microdot Blog, which is the big thing people would know you for right now. But uh, previously, let's—you uh, have all these products that you made uh, under your Riverfold Software brand. Uh, so I know, I think, like WeTransfer was that the first one?
1: Mm-hmm. Yep, that was the first one, and. That yeah, that's been that's been a while because I worked on it basically right after the Wii came out. I hacked something together and um, in the you know probably the first few weeks or month and that that evolved into that product and then I did uh, you know a few versions, 2.0, uh, which was really fun to work on. Mm-hmm. And I eventually uh, stopped selling that and kind of shut the app down. I still get requests from people sometimes for a copy, which is really fun to, to hear. Although it's just it's a very old app and it's. It's, uh, I mean, it works, I guess, but it's it's not, the, the types of problems it was trying to solve don't really exist in the same way anymore, but it was a super fun app to work on. And I just threw anything that I could that was related to the Wii into that app, you know, things from uh, copying, you know, saved game backups and movies and stuff to an SD card to streaming to the, to the Wii to watch shows to uh, my favorite thing it did which I think it was the it was really the it was one of those things where it's like it's an opportunity to build something unique in an app that no one else has done or will try to do. Mm -hmm. And it was copy your Me characters to your Mac and then you know render them and and save them as as you know pinks or JPEGs or whatever. And that kind of feature was really fun to do. And I kind of missed it. I I almost brought that like to an iPhone app or something like that at one point. But decided to just kind of let that go. But it was a fun app to work on.
0: Yeah, no, that that was, uh, yeah, I think that was definitely the thing that I knew you for the first, because I think you did, then you did Clipstart probably around, I think I'd already been listening, I think that was after Corn intuition was when Clipstart
1: came out, right? Yeah, that's right.
0: Yeah. And that was for, that was like, kind of like iPhoto, but just for videos, right?
1: Exactly. Yeah, I wanted something that, you know, iPhoto was fine and the Photos app today is fine, but I want something just for videos and that was compatible with other different sources. So like at the time, I had a Flip video camera, which mm-hmm. it's kind of hard to remember now, but they were yeah. like really popular at the time. It's like a super, you know, pretty inexpensive, small, like convenient way to record video back when iPhones, well, didn't exist or didn't even have video yet, right? It's, yeah. it's hard to remember. but The first iPhone could not shoot video. Yeah. <laughs>
0: And the, uh, sorry, and the, the the thing that I just thought of was the flip camera was long enough now ago that I remember you could buy them at Blockbuster Video was what I always saw oh, wow. on sale. Yeah, so That's it's been a while.
1: <laughs> I loved it. I, I bought a couple of them, and mm-hmm. I thought it was a really convenient little camera. And so I record all these videos. By default, they were in a form. I'm, I'm drawing a blank on it, but it wasn't like standard, like, you know, MP4. kind. Of, it, it was... There was, I can't remember the format. I was something special about it. And so you couldn't just drop them into iPhoto and expect them to work. And so start um, you know, it, it supported that kind of thing. It also, when the iPhone 3GS came out, it supported connecting to that and syncing. And it also had a, a kind of a completely different way to quickly tag and organize your videos uh, from the keyboard. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I thought it was – at the time, I thought it made a lot of sense. Today, it's not an app – that I would probably work on or build, but it is an app actually that I still sell today. Unlike mm-hmm. WeTransfer, mm-hmm. and um, don't know if that's the right choice, but I have people that like the app, and so I actually still sell it. And you know, yeah, that's a whole that's a whole another uh, that's all another discussion. But um, it was uh, at the time I think it was an interesting and kind of important app for me to work on. Again, now the world has changed a little bit, and some of those apps kind of get left behind when there's like a standard. Apple supported way to do photos, for example, that everyone everyone uses.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but no, I, I bought it. I, I liked it. I used to use oh, it nice. to, yeah, when I would uh, when I used to play a lot more shows uh, for music. I used to use it to store my videos of my shows and then organize them.
1: Oh, so, cool. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, and it had. I mean, it had some things like you know, a lot of people used it to like batch upload videos to like YouTube or Vimeo and things like that. So it it, it, it tried to do a few things. And um, yeah, I I still I still like the app a lot. Like sometimes I'll fire it up and remember some of the things I liked about it. um, That that, yeah, it's been many many years now since I wrote most of that code. But Mm. uh, it was it was a fun app to work on. And at at one time I thought that would be something that I put more time into. But you know, products come and go. I guess. Yeah.
0: Um, So I guess we're just going down the list of you know uh, your your, your, (laughs) your your product story here. Uh, you know, let, let me know if I, I missed it, if I miss any, but, uh, the, the, the one that I think a lot of people actually knew you for before micro.blog would have been, uh, you did two kind of Twitter related things, which is funny cause you're not on Twitter now, uh, right. but <laughs> you did two kind of Twitter related things. So maybe we can batch those. Uh, but you did tweet marker, right. Which mm-hmm. was for syncing your, um, you know, your Twitter timeline place, uh, across you know, different service, you know, different apps, Yep, which, uh you know it's fantastic and i think a lot of people i think you got got an award from macworld for that one time maybe or i did
1: yeah. yeah yeah that was that was really fun
0: yeah that so i know that you know i think a lot of people know you for that and that that was actually a web app right so you probably did that in ruby
1: that's true i did it in ruby and I had so my other app that you you kind of alluded to is uh, Tweet Library, which is an iOS app for like organizing tweets. And I did that first. And one of the things that I, I really wanted was the ability to sync the timeline position between like my app and Twitterific or other you know Tweetbot other apps. And I thought there was an opportunity since. Twitter itself didn't have that kind of API and didn't seem interested in it you know that Twitter was all about like what's new what's the latest thing they're not as interested as oh I haven't looked at my Twitter timeline in 24 hours and I actually wanted to scroll back and I can catch up and so I, and I thought it was really important to have something that was independent of one app so a service that would work across you know, kind of open, ish you know something mm-hmm. that would work across multiple apps so i could be using my app tweet library and i could be organizing my tweets and reading things and then if i pop into you know another third-party twitter app everything syncs up and and it's great that was the idea and mm-hmm. when i did it a lot of people were like this is crazy why are you why are you building an api No, know no one's going to support this this is really a uphill you know climb to do this kind of thing but uh, it was it worked out really great i think twitterific was the first to support it and that's you know app i love and respect and has obviously a huge history uh, on ios and just being you know one of the first uh twitter third-party clients at all uh, starting on the mac and uh, tweetbot supported a bunch of other apps support there's android apps i've never heard of that supported and i still run that service it's got tons of users um it actually before micro.blog which we'll get to but like before that it twit tweet um Marker was by far, like, use my servers, in the most, you know, server resources and bandwidth and whatever and connections per second, you know, flying by. So I still run it. And I think something like that still has kind of a place in the world. But they, but so many clients now have their own syncing that Tweet Marker now is kind of like, it's not going to be the default. It's going to be like a second choice that people have to dig through to find and, you know, a bunch of people use TweetBot, obviously. The, the syncing there it only works between TweetBots, right? And and mm-hmm. that's fine if you're on TweetBot on all platforms, which a lot of people are. But I, I still kind of miss and regret the fact that we didn't have an an open way to do that so that I could have TweetBot on my Mac and Twitterific on my iPhone and everything works. So that's, that's the kind of trade-off. Some people don't care about that. But uh, when I build something, especially an API, I want it to be open and you know, multiple people to be able to use it, not to be locked into one app. So that's the thinking behind TweetMarker.
0: Yeah, no, uh, I think TweetMarker is fantastic and was fantastic. Uh, um, and I guess the the last thing, since, you know, we went through everything else you've ever done, uh, is you did this thing called Search Path, which I really liked, but, you know, you had to stop it,
1: I guess, to... Yeah, yeah, I liked it too, but I didn't. It's my fault, really. I didn't spend enough time on it, and I actually still run it in kind of a limited mode um, for for customers who have used it before. I don't mm-hmm. charge anyone for it anymore, just because I didn't want to just completely shut it down and have it stop working for people that uh, that you know didn't have time to move to something else. Um, but I I do think search uh, it's it's an interesting problem when you think about just uh, having my website searchable and not have to like throw people off to Google. And I think when I built it, I was also going through kind of a phase of like, I don't want to just send more and more traffic to Google. I don't want Google to have everything. And and it was appealing to people to have like, you put a search box on your site, have a nice little UI for people to search your site, your blog, without sending them away. And I, I it's the kind of thing I may bring back in some form. I thought the name was pretty good i think the idea to allow search for more content is a good thing Mm -hmm. but it's it's just it requires a whole you know it's it's a whole full-time job just to keep up with that kind of thing and I just i didn't put enough time into it i think to see the potential payoff
0: no i mean that makes sense you can't do everything uh but there is a theme though in uh in a, in a couple of those I noticed you're saying like i didn't want to send all the traffic to Google and whatever and <laughs> or like I wanted there to be an open way to do this and open 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 uh you know is that you you really like uh you know open you know things that work together in a uh you know in an open sort of way like that right uh
1: yeah i mean that's just how things should be i think i it's frustrating when a company starts locking their stuff down i mean famously Twitter I think was the that did the most damage with that kind of mindset of we want to control everything and even if it steps on third party developers and kind of gets in the way of users being able to switch between apps or gets in the way of uh, Twitter developers you know being able to build and scale their app on our platform that 's frustrating to me I, I think I mean I totally believe in the open web and you know th- you should control your own content and you should be able to you know move between these different platforms because uh, if you get yeah, if you get stuck on one thing and it's not compatible or open with other services, uh, it's kind of a dead end.
0: That makes a lot of sense. And uh, the the example that I always love that I've, I heard you use on your podcast, I think once or twice, or maybe a few times even, is but I think is a great example um, is where, you know, uh, Twitter just a couple of days ago, right, the CEO or somebody had said, like, Twitter's going to be around for 10,000 years, like longer right. than all of human recorded history. <laughs> right. And the example that I've heard you use is be like, manton.org has existed longer than Twitter.
1: Like, <laughs> Right. Yeah, I've, I've been blogging, I think, 15 years now. And that's a long time. Like when I started my blog kind of the same thing I said about podcasting earlier. is like, does the world need another podcast? Well, yes, it does. Mm-hmm. Today as 10 years ago. And the same thing about blogs. When I started my blog, I was like, does anyone need another blog? There's plenty of blogs. <laughs> but of course now, 15 years, it's like really, really old for a blog. And um, there's something about sticking with it and being consistent that I think is interesting. And it's one, even though I don't, I don't make any money directly on my blog, it's one of the most important things I do. Um, just for myself, recording things I'm working on, things I'm thinking about, um, and also just kind of contributing back to the community and kind of sharing you know ideas and uh, you know whatever thoughts that might be useful to other people. I think that's super important, but yeah, Twitter has been around for a little over ten years now, and that ten thousand year comment is uh, it just it's just crazy. I think companies, there's a very few rare special companies that will last a hundred years. and I don't think Twitter is in that group yet. Uh, I've I wrote a post uh, a while back saying that I think that the two only two companies in like the tech world besides like Apple and Google that I think are hundred year companies are WordPress. I really am impressed with the way they've built their company and mm-hmm. grown it. Uh, and it, also, if you think about just the open web and, and standards like that, they are they've done a great job. Of building a really successful company, but also keeping true to those kind of things they believe in, and GitHub. I I think GitHub is another one of those. I was a little concerned when they kind of switched a little bit to going back to taking venture capital and and kind of scaling in a different way. But those two companies, I think, are like 100-year companies. Twitter is not in the game yet. I mean, they're, (laughs) they're not profitable. They've got issues they're dealing with and struggling with maybe the last, you know, another 20 years. Uh, maybe a hundred years, but it's way too soon to say.
0: Yeah, I don't know. A hundred years is a long time, and it really uh, is. It really Ten thousand years is a really long time.
1: <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. And I think that just shows that that comment. Yeah, I haven't read the the full like speech and context, so I don't want to maybe judge it unfairly. But that comment, I think, says something about uh, something about being out of touch a little bit about what. I get the idea of like wanting to show that you're in this for the long haul, but that is just a ridiculous number to throw out, and um, it, that concerns me. That would concern me if I was like heavily, you know, invested in Twitter and like wanted them to be uh, successful.
0: Yeah, they seem like a. Um, they, they, they seem well. They're they're an interesting place. They 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 definitely have a lot going on right now, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> um. So, I guess, so you've done all these things, right, over a period of time, and I guess one of the questions I want to ask you about your, um, you know, your career and your, you know, because you 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 were working like a full-time job for, you know, all the products we just talked about, right? You were working a full-time mm-hmm. job while you were doing that. That's true. And then uh, also kind of, you know, doing the indie thing on the side. Uh, and you made all these different things, and, you know, a few of them, uh, all of them really, you know, saw some level of success. Um, and... Uh, how do you how do you find time? So you also have a family, right? Uh, and how do you find time between you know your work or contracting, and then also to work on your own stuff, and also to have a life with your family, and just like be a well-adjusted human?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when I was working a regular job, which is it's been a little over, um, it's like I think it's been almost two years since I since I left. I I did have some advantages kind of working in my favor. For example, the entire time I was there, I worked uh, remotely from home. So that cuts down on some kind of, you know, commuting and meetings and just some extra stuff that kind of gets in the way. And so I was used to working pretty independently and it was natural for me to also work on other things like late at night or on the weekends or whenever I had time. But you're right, it's super difficult and not just working kind of two jobs, but also juggling you know family and, and other responsibilities it i kind of i think i just I, I was able to find a way to use my time like really efficiently and you know sometimes i get away from that sometimes i get you know sucked into watching you know tv too long or distracted by other things but I th- there were certainly a few years there where i think i was pretty efficient with my time and i was able to build some things you know, i tried some things some of them were successful some of them weren't but i was able to spin them out fairly quickly and, and, and see what happens. And I didn't spend a lot. I I really, I see a a lot of developers that they work on side projects, they work on things, they don't end up shipping them. I really had a focus on if I work on a single line of code, like if I work on anything, it's going to be a product and ship. It's not going to be a prototype that never sees the light of day. And so I think that helped me get things out the door, that kind of that just mindset of like I'm working on – if I get far enough down this road of working on a certain project, it's going to be something that I share with people. Otherwise, I'm not going to say it was wasted time, but it's like it's not something I want to work on if it's not something that I can turn into something real.
0: Well, that that seems so smart. And, you know, you must have great just, you know, natural ability to focus to be able to pull that off.
1: Uh I yeah, a, I don't know maybe <laughs> some days some days I can focus.
0: Yeah, uh but I I think that's great advice though about uh you know if you're if you have that idea of like, you know, I just I n- I need to make this a thing I can ship, you know, get a viable product that I can show to other people. I think that's a great way to think about it, you know.
1: Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's important and there's also nothing like having real customers to push you to to, you know, finish something and and put it out there. Certainly a lot of the products you mentioned in that list, 1.0 was not perfect. And, you know, I probably shipped some of those too early. I probably shipped them at like 80% done, really. Um, But I shipped them and, you know, they got better. You know, some of them got a lot better, and some of them they they weren't successful enough to really put a lot of time in, and keep working on them. But I think that's really important, and I'm going through that with Microdot Blog now as well. I probably uh, released it to my Kickstarter backers before it was fully baked, but it's forcing me to make drastic improvements really quickly, and you know respond to feedback and just you know build it into something better and bigger than if I had waited and waited and waited to get that feedback
0: yeah so that you know, that's actually a great segue. Let's talk about micro blog and yeah. uh you know uh so you did this uh you know so micro blog is your sort of open web version of a you know twitter like micro blogging kind of a thing right where it's not mm-hmm. all gonna it's not all necessarily owned in one place and uh You know, well, I guess you could probably explain it better than I can.
1: Uh, Sometimes I need to work. I need to work on how I explain it because there's still confusion about it. Because it is, it tries to do a couple different things. It's not as simple as oh, it's a Twitter clone but more open, or oh, it's a blogging platform. It's it's kind of both of those things. It's kind of a social network that that feels kind of like Twitter in terms of short posts and kind of a the idea is really effortless UI. Um, but it's also a whole blogging platform and publishing platform. So I, I'll host blogs for people. I have different themes, and you, know, you can have your own domain name. So it, it tries to do a couple different things. But the premise is, is, is exactly what you said, which is, you, know, and getting back to what I said earlier about controlling your own content, I, I got into app.net in a big way. That didn't really work out. And along the way, when I got frustrated with Twitter and kind of uh, kind of left <laughs> through a fit and left Twitter, I, I realized, you know, I saw these other services that, were, that tried to, to be an open version of Twitter. They, they came and, you know, they went and, and that was kind of the, the natural cycle. People were interested and they joined them and then it kind of faded away. I realized that I should be posting that stuff to my own blog. I've been blogging for a long time. That stuff should just be on my own blog. And so I got in the habit of myself putting these little short microblog posts on my own blog. So I have an you know, essay or something that has a title and, you know, some paragraphs and then also have something that's only, you know, a hundred characters or or you know, a couple sentences. And the idea with microblog is encourage more of that. Encourage people to not just put things on Twitter and Facebook where it's you know whatever it's on it's on their platform. Who knows what's going to happen with it? Uh, and but have it more on your own site where you can control it, uh, where you feel like you own it. And some of these social networks, it's hard to imagine Twitter you know, going out of business, but it was also hard to imagine, you know, MySpace and other, you know, networks uh, changing. So some, there's no certainty really with content on the internet unless you control it. And the way you control it is you have your own domain name so that you can move it around if you need to. And so that's the idea with micro.blog. I encourage that kind of thinking about writing on the web, thinking about if you, if you have something to share, even if it's like, whatever I have a breakfast or, you know, something silly or a photo, that's worth having on your own site.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I think you know. I think that's fabulous, and obviously, I'm not the only person who thought that was fabulous. You had this uh, fantastic Kickstarter that you did. That uh, you know, if, if you listen to uh, if you listen to Core uh, you can hear the uh, the long period of time of you know getting the Kickstarter ready and making this video and trying to make it you know all great you know so that people would want to support it. And you, you finally got it out there, you know, you, you got it out there, and it turned out people uh, did want to support it, and they did want to support you, and it did very well.
1: Thanks, yeah, I was really happy with it. Um, I had a, a little over 3,000 backers at the end of it, and uh, just I was just thrilled with it. People were interested, and, you know, not not everyone knew exactly what it was I was trying to build, but everyone thought there was something to it, and it was worth putting in, you know or ten dollars or more um some people pledged even much more it's just really amazing to, to see that kind of reaction and um now yeah now it's the that was uh that was in january i wanted to do something at the beginning of the year and i i launched uh the kickstarter and now it's you know several months later and i'm following up with uh actually delivering everything that i promised <laughs> uh, to backers
0: yeah that's uh you know that that's that's a. Uh you know, that that's a unique benefit that you're you're providing that, you know, not all Kickstarters do. Uh, and, uh, but, you know, congratulations on, you know, on that. Uh, you know, I, I know that I I supported it for a certain amount, you know, whatever it was, I don't remember, uh, you know, whatever one of the lower amounts was. And then I think that like many other people, I saw you, know, you got close to your like, hey, if I hit you know, if I hit eighty thousand dollars, I'm gonna hire a community manager and you know do this, that, and the other. Well, mostly it's hire a community manager, and mm-hmm. I uh, and and I absolutely I, I I was like, all right, I need to pledge more. I'll I'll get the paper book, whatever. Um, awesome, awesome. Yeah, thank you. I think a it's, lot of other people probably did too at that point.
1: It is interesting. This is the first Kickstarter project I've ever done. I've learned a lot uh, through it. I don't know if I'm ever gonna do another one. It's actually a lot of work to run one, but it, it was perfect for what I was trying to do, and. That's a really fascinating part of uh, Kickstarter campaigns is when you set that other goal. And, and very early on, so I should start by saying when I launched it, I had no idea if it would successfully fund. I put the goal of $10,000 And I launched it, and you know I was just like staring at the Kickstarter page. No one was backing it because, of course, this doesn't just magically happen. People don't just like magically start backing a project. You actually have to work. It's like a product. You have to actually (laughs) promote it and tell people about it. Um, But then they started, you know, uh, pledges started coming in, and it's like, oh, this is working. And very quickly, uh, after it funded, it funded in the first day or two. Uh, people said, "Okay, what's now? What? What's the next goal? What's the stretch goal?" And this is super common on Kickstarter to have these stretch goals. And I was caught by surprise a little. I wasn't sure. You know, I hadn't really planned for it to be that successful. I hoped, but I didn't want to like plan for something that wasn't realistic. Um, so I put some thought into it um, and waited a couple weeks before announcing it. But but there's certainly this this part of Kickstarter campaigns where when someone sees that extra goal. They want to do exactly what you just said. Like, well, I want to support this more. And, you know, yeah, I'll, I'll go in for the extra perks and, and rewards that, that that are there. And that's a really neat feeling when you're part of, you know, and I've backed a whole bunch of Kickstarter projects, and I feel the same way when I'm part of something that I believe in. And I feel like, yeah, I just put $5 in, but, like, now I see that the potential is even bigger. So, yes, I'm going to increase my pledge. And um, there's that personal connection that you have with the Kickstarter, uh, the people that are running the Kickstarter campaigns. Like... That video, I think, reinforces that too. You feel like you kind of know these people, even if you've never met them, and you want to support them. You want them to succeed, and I, I totally saw that with with my campaign. It was just kind of amazing uh, to get people's feedback like that.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think uh, you know, I think also that you've been uh, you know in the community you know for so long, and uh, you know made all these great things that people have liked, and you know had your blog and your podcast, which have been a great service. Uh, you know, to the community also. Uh, you know, I, I think that people maybe even if they didn't exactly understand what it was in the beginning, they really just wanted to support you, and they were like, "I don't, you know, I believe in Manton," and <laughs> I'm sure what you know. Uh, in, and uh, and and so I think that that that's really great. And do you mind saying what it ended up at? You said you started at ten thousand, mm-hmm. which seems it pretty ended modest. Up-
1: and it was, you know, it's hard to know. And it's, you know, it's an all or nothing thing with Kickstarter too. So like I would have, if I had set it higher and I had missed the goal by like $5 and not gotten anything, I would have just been crushed kind of, I guess. And so I, I, I didn't know how to judge it and I didn't want it to be too high. Uh, even, even though like 10,000 wasn't really enough to build, um, everything that I wanted to, I thought it would be enough. I thought like worst case, it's enough for me to put time into writing the book. Um, and, and and you'll be able to fulfill the rewards for people. Uh, but it ended up at eighty-five thousand dollars, which is a little over the stretch goal. And of course Kickstarter takes a cut off top of that and everything. But um yeah, I was uh just couldn't really be happier, I guess, with, with with how it went. And you know, getting back to your point about people you know, they they read my blog or listened to my other podcast or you know, they kinda wanted to support it. I do think that's an important thing about Uh, a Kickstarter campaign. Like, like I said, this is the first one I've ever done. I'm no expert, but I heard from a lot of people after I did it asking like, you know, they basically say like, congrats. Uh, how'd you do, how'd you do this? Like, why is my Kickstarter campaign not working out as well as I'd like? And a lot of the time it's because the Kickstarter campaign, they launched it, you know, just like I launched mine, but without, any kind of planning or build up uh, before it, and uh, Kickstarter campaigns. Maybe you'll get lucky and be featured by Kickstarter, but like it doesn't just magically work. You do have to put some time into it, I think. And and one of the things I did in about a year leading up to the Kickstarter campaign is I was asking for people's email address to, to announce and tell them when I had this microblogging thing ready. And so I was actually able to email all of those people on day one and follow up with those people, you know, like two weeks in, and and that helps tremendously uh, getting the word out. And so, yeah, if, if someone's thinking about doing a Kickstarter campaign, uh, like I said, it was a great experience. It's also, uh, it takes a lot of time and it's frustrating in some ways, but I think a little planning and like building up kind of the word of mouth and you know, mailing list or blog or something like that ahead of time, or even Twitter followers or whatever you've got, I think makes a huge difference.
0: Yeah, and I know when you launched it, you know, it all looked super professional, right? You had the uh, awesome video that you did, which, uh, you know, we can link to in the show notes, uh, you know, with all like the kind of hand-drawn animations and trying to explain what it was. And um, it was, yeah, it was re- really, really great. Uh, Thank you. Thank you. Uh, yeah. And uh, obviously it worked. So that's even better. Uh, and and I'm on, uh, you know, blog now. I'm at colin.micro.blog. Uh, and, uh, and it's pretty cool. I, I'm digging it.
1: Cool, cool. Thanks. Yeah, it's still really early. I mean, it's uh, it's it's been uh, you know, I've, so I've opened it to Kickstarter backers. It's as we've been recording. It's been um, you know a little less than two weeks, about a week and a half, and there's it's going through like early beta, <laughs> growing pains. You know, the servers are not as fast as they should be. The app is not as polished and bug free as it could be. But it's a start, I think, and people. Uh, you know, a lot of people are really excited and they're also really patient and, you know, willing to give me some time to to figure this out and to scale it up and to add features and, you know, build everything to the, the potential that I think it can be.
0: Yeah, no. And it's uh, I'm I'm actually really liking it at this point because, right, it's just those people who backed on the Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. So it's actually like a manageable list. Like I can actually read everything right now, which mm-hmm. is really nice. Um
1: yeah. It's funny how, like, a new service, like, I, I saw the same thing on, like, app.net and other things where it's, like, it, it's an opportunity to also, like, discover people that you weren't, you know, you, it's easy to get stuck in, like, these are my Twitter followers and, like, I don't talk to anyone. Like, it's nice to have a new set of people to just kind of follow new people or hear, you know, other ideas. Like, it's just like a different part uh, of the community. And that I'm seeing some of that with the launch of this, which is really neat. And and you're and you're right. It's not overwhelming. You know, I could I could have a timeline that showed absolutely every post, and it wouldn't be like uh, I'm drowning in posts because it's just not that many people on the service yet. It's limited by the Kickstarter backers.
0: Yeah. Um. No, but it's 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 great. I'm really I'm really enjoying it. Uh, it's uh, I I think once I started using it, I understood a little bit more what you were doing, <laughs> which was great. I was hoping that's what would happen. Um, which isn't to say that like you weren't clear about it, but like you said, you're kind of trying to do a lot of things, so uh, I wasn't exactly sure what it was going to look like when I used mm-hmm. it, but uh, it's 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 really cool, um, and it's and it's working really well too, which I which is neat, uh, since you know, you, like you said, you're still in beta, but it seems like it's generally doing the things that you said it would do, which is cool.
1: <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, and then some people are still confused too, and there's a lot of work to do, and like. It's just explaining things better. And you know, I, that video in the Kickstarter campaign, I think, was really important. And I have no doubt that without the video, it wouldn't have done as well. And, and this service and website and everything, microblog I think it also needs more, more like that. You know, getting people introduced to the idea and explaining how everything fits together. Because it is a little complicated and different. And so we have a lot of work still to do to improve that so people aren't confused when they come in and not they're not sure where to click and not sure what to do.
0: Yeah. And when you say uh we, right, that means you and uh you also have hired uh Jean McDonald of uh you know being awesome fame.
1: (laughs) Yeah. camp for girls. Yeah, App Camp uh, for uh, Girls
0: and she used to work for Smile Smile, and she's just like the nicest person in the world and she's a good singer. Uh she has a lot (laughs) going for as a person.
1: Yeah, I was was so happy uh, that 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 worked out. Um, When I set that stretch goal and saying I'm going to hire a community manager, I hadn't even – you know, I haven't thought that I could get someone, you know, with her level of experience. And she has already added a whole bunch. And so, yeah, I have retrained myself a little bit to say we because this is the first independent project, you know, of all the things we've talked about on the show already. Those were all me. And when I when I talked to customers, I always said I and me because I wanted to underscore that I'm just this developer, that I built this thing, and I'm going to help you if you have trouble. And now Blog is bigger, bigger than that. So, I've, I've, yeah, I've been kind of retraining myself to say we more. And it's true because she's already helped out uh, a whole bunch. And I think she's going to have a really important role uh, in the company. And it's it, it kind of underscores just that I, I think that this project is very different than anything I've worked on before. It, like the potential is a lot bigger. The scale is a lot bigger. It's not something that I can just kind of like work on in my spare time. Um, and do a new version every once in a while. It's something that requires a lot of time. And when I realized that and kind of made a commitment to it, uh, I think, I don't know, it helped clarify what I was trying to do uh, with this and, you know, bring her on board. It just added to that as well. Like, I I don't know where it's going to go, and there's a lot of challenges, but... Being able to say, yes, this is this is a team that's behind this, and we'd love to build it into something that's that's really great. It helps me focus and pay attention to again, just like the potential for what the platform could be.
0: yeah, i I honestly can't imagine a better person you could have uh, gotten to do that with you than Jean. Uh, she's you know she's she's a friend of mine, and uh, she's I think she's a lot of people's friend because she's so nice and wonderful, and uh, which I probably said six times now. But uh, she is. It's true, though. Yeah, yeah it's, it's,
1: tr- it's. I'm so lucky. Uh, honestly, it uh, really couldn't be happier.
0: Yeah. So yeah, I think you are really lucked out there. Um, and uh, you know, it's it's a great team. Um, so I want to back up a little bit. Um, so you're hiring Jean, and well, she's going to help you. Uh, you know, she's helping you with the community stuff, and it seems like you know maybe she's helping you. Uh, you know, she's actually maybe doing more. Than you thought she you know you thought this role was originally going to be even uh you know because she brings so much experience uh but then also so I wanted to talk to you about you know this is a new social network right a new uh you know which which is seems like a has a bunch of you know, unique challenges so I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about your feelings on you know like building community and um you know, ha- helping people, you know, grow their network. And then maybe we could also talk about uh, you know, your philosophy on dealing with harassment and um, you know, what you think microdot blog can do differently that maybe other services haven't
1: done. Sure. So I think about a year ago, might have a little longer, I wrote a post Actually, it might have been more more recently now that I think about it. Uh, I wrote a blog post called, you know, Today's Social Networks Are Broken. And one of my points was hate and harassment on Twitter in particular are out of control. And, you know, it's easy to see this. A lot of times, you know, depending on who you're following uh, or who's following you, you know, you might be kind of sheltered from a lot of the worst parts of, of Twitter, but it's there. And a lot of people felt like Twitter just... They weren't doing anything about it, right? And I, I don't think they're intentionally necessarily trying not to do anything about it. But when you start, like you like Twitter did ten years ago, without thinking about it, I think it's inevitable that you're going to run into problems. And so my goal from day one with micro.blog Blog was, we're not going to start without thinking about it. We're going to start thinking about it before we even launch. And you know, there's kind of some unique challenges with Microdot Blog, but there's also some things that I think make it special and and well suited to take care of some of these these problems. So, for example, uh, like we've said, it's it's a more open platform. You can bring your own blog, like you could have a WordPress blog or something connected to microdub blog. And of course, we can't tell you what to post on WordPress, but that's fine. That's how it should be. You should be free to post, uh, you know, <laughs> whatever you want, any rants you want to go on on your own WordPress blog. That's fine. But because there's that separation, because we can kind of draw a line between like your blog and the micro. blog, you know, social network and kind of uh, community, we feel kind of empowered to say we are going to, um, we're going to be active. We're going to curate things if we need to. We're going to block replies that we think um, are hurtful. And because you still have your own site, no matter you know where it's hosted, um, I think that gives a a network like micro.blog, again, kind of just a little more um, ability to go in and make those kind of difficult choices sometimes. With Twitter, because all the content is on Twitter, Twitter in a lot of ways can't do as much as they should be able to do because there's, there's things they can do and they are rolling out some improvements um, to replies. But if someone is really misbehaving on the Twitter platform, they have to, you know, ban their account or shut them down, and then that person they can't post anymore, um, mm-hmm. they, you know, because like that tw- they were posting to Twitter. And with Microblog, it's different because if someone's being hateful, we can block them, we can hide all their replies, we can do all sorts of things, but they can still go post on their own site if they want, right? Like go, you know, go crazy over there on your own site. And so I think that that's kind of a unique twist on a social network that I think I I really hope there's something to that. And it'll allow us to build a really great community. And, of course, we have some things to figure out. But that's that's the thought process behind, um, you know, the stretch goal and the community manager and, you know, being able to stay on top of these kind of things and having a conversation even now with Kickstarter backers about, like, what you want to see and what, how you want things to work and building the tools um, to make that happen.
0: Yeah, that that makes all the sense in the world. Uh, I, I hadn't thought about the idea of, you know, that if uh – you, know, you can hide somebody's stuff on Microdot Blog, but it still exists. They can still own it, and that's uh, you know that that makes so much sense. So you you know, we versus Twitter. If you know, if they delete somebody's account, all their stuff's gone.
1: Uh, right. So they kind of they kind of Twitter has to err on the side of not deleting all their stuff. Right. That's the kind of point. And every once in a while, Twitter will ban someone, but it's probably if if it's gotten to the point of where they ban someone, it was probably too late. That person per- person probably caused all sorts of trouble in the meantime that should have been blocked, and um. So I I, and Twitter has other their business model too is like we don't want to ban a lot of stuff we don't you know we want more users we want to be able to tell our shareholders that we have more active users and our advertisers and we want more views and so like the business model is also completely different and I think on Twitter it encourages uh, sometimes it's it's at odds with what they should do on the
0: platform yeah where you know Twitter's business model right is all around advertising and they need lots and lots of users and to show growth and that whole thing. And, uh, you know, your, your business model is around people give you $5 and, uh, you give them an account.
1: Yep. That's right. Yeah. Which is and, nice. Yeah. And there's, there's a free, um, uh, so the Twitter, uh, sorry sorry, the, the Kickstarter backers, a lot of them, they get a certain, uh, paid level, uh, right away, but that's the basic business model is if you want us to like host your blog for you, you know, you give us $5 a month and we hope that we give you a lot of value um for that and you can still join f- with a free account and have a different blog somewhere else or or reply to people or whatever so the, it's kind of a freemium um split and we'll be kind of tweaking that but so far i think that's the right model mm-hmm. because I, there should be more options to publish on the web and it's you know super common obviously to pay someone to host uh, your blog for you you know going back to wordpress like we were talking about wordpress.com um, you know, probably hundreds or thousands of other companies. You know, you can pay to host your blog. So people understand that they get that kind of model. And yeah, again, I hope I hope that there there'll be something special about the way Micro.blog thinks about hosting people's blogs. Um, the focus on short posts and and different themes and features, uh, the iPhone app, things around Micro.blog, uh, things around microblogging that make it easier to to blog. Hopefully, that'll be compelling for people.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I, w- I was going to say, yeah, it sounds a lot like the WordPress model.
1: Mhm. It's not yeah, it's pretty similar. Uh, the main difference is we have not started as an open source project. So I think you know, we'll probably open source some things, but like right now you can't like take the entire microblog platform and run it yourself. Mostly because uh, it's it's complicated. There's a lot of <laughs> moving pieces, and I don't I don't think it would be easy to just run it yourself. Um, but I think there's there's parts maybe we could open source. I've heard a lot of feedback from Kickstarter backers that they they'd like more of it to be open. Um, but that's the biggest difference is WordPress. There's an open source version where you can install it yourself, or you can pay WordPress.com to, uh, to you know for them to host it for you. And there's a lot of other providers. You know, people like. Um, WP engine, you can pay them to have, you know, uh, to have fully managed WordPress, uh, install. There's, there's DreamHost, hosts. There's a lot of people like that. Um, but it's similar in that there's a free way to do WordPress and a paid way to do WordPress. And basically y- you pay for convenience, you know, stability features, that kind of thing. People get that. And if, if you don't, if you can't afford $5 a month, there's a way to do it for free
0: yeah no that 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 makes a lot of sense and I think uh yeah I'm hoping that is gonna be very successful for you uh um you know if the Kickstarter's any indication it seems like it could be um so there's this idea that i you know, you kind of touched on that I've heard you talk about before uh maybe it was in the social networks or broken post where you talked about how like, you know, like Twitter or Facebook have, you know, they have kind of different problems, right? But they each obviously have their problems, uh, you know, with dealing with, uh, you know, like Facebook has the whole kind of like, uh, you know, issue with like the disinformation that was, you know, going on Mm -hmm. there that they couldn't really seem to get a handle on. And, um, and, you know, Twitter has the problem with that, and also harassment, though. And it's, 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 you had this idea that I think you had stated where it's almost like, it kind of almost didn't happen on accident, maybe. Like, maybe they were almost designed in a way where, like, like because they each have their own problem that's unique to them. And it's almost like they were designed in a way that invited that. Mm-hmm. Where, like, no, Instagram think, doesn't do that.
1: Yeah, that, Exactly. I think – so part of that post, the, I think that was – it was a little bit about fake news and kind of amplifying – voices that maybe shouldn't be and the way you design software like has an impact on how people use it right like it encourages certain behavior and i think there is something to the idea that the way twitter and facebook work for example the way you can just click retweet without really thinking about anything um can spread you know problems and can you know it's it's great in amplifying certain voices uh, but it's also it can also amplify voices that uh, maybe shouldn't be heard <laughs> so much. And so with, with um, micro.blog, I really wanted to take a step back and not just clone every feature that's on Twitter and Facebook. You know, we'll we'll bring more features out over time, but I wasn't, for example, there's no repost on day one. And it's not because I couldn't build it. Of course I could build it. I mean, there's there's a, a lot of things that, uh, that I could have built for day one. But I have this idea that, the software really should encourage the kinds of behavior that I'd like to, <laughs> to, to see in the world. I'm not going to say, like, don't use it. Like, you don't have to use it like I would use it. I'm excited to see people using it in ways that I didn't intend. But when I do, you know, when we do things like repost feature or um, even things like showing follower accounts, and, and there's a lot of things that are hidden in Microdot blog right now because I, I just want to make sure that when we do them um, – they aren't contributing to the problem, and they aren't making the, <laughs> the making things worse. And certainly, you know, uh, I I think there there's a lot of things that have happened with how Twitter and Facebook UI has evolved that just weren't really thought through, and we kind of just take for granted and think this is how it should work. But now that like I I think at Microsoft, boy, we have the advantage now of looking at everything and saying, okay, what does work in these other social networks like don't, we're not going to just blindly copy everything because I don't want to the fake news problem in particular I don't want to just make that worse you know I want to make it better and I, I think overall I, I love the idea of working on a product that is about people writing online and I think that there's a lot of value in that I feel really great that I have something that allows people to express themselves post photos and write stuff um, but again just want to make sure that we're doing everything everything we can in the UI and the platform to kind of steer people in the right direction, steer people into posting stuff that's thoughtful or interesting. Um, I think Instagram has done a fantastic job with this. You know, like, it's just amazing that I can still use Instagram today, you know, years after they launched. And when I look at my timeline, it's like, these are great photos. Like, you know, like, it's it's not overwhelming. There's great photos. It's not a bunch of junk in my timeline. And um, so I want to learn as much as I can from these different services that have come before and try to get the experience in micro.blog to be as good as it can be.
0: Yeah. And actually, one of the things you called out was something that I had noticed, but I wasn't sure uh, if it was for this reason or not, uh, which was the, you know, there was no obvious way right now to go see, like, who is all this person's followers or who is all, you know, or what is their follower count and those things. And it sounds like some of that you want to like, if you do roll those out, you want to roll them out in a way to where it limits the ability to use that for
1: abuse or. Yeah. It's kind of like, so there's a couple things like with followers, um, it's useful to be able to see who someone is following to discover new people. I think that's a really valuable um, feature right now. On Microsoft Blog, you know, it's limited by Kickstarter backers. There's really not that many people, so I don't think it's super useful to show, like, how many followers someone has. Like, it's going to be a pretty small number for most people that have just started. But more than that, I also think that follower counts can quickly turn into a popularity contest, which is not something I'm really interested in encouraging. Uh, and there's when it's so easy on twitter to like look at someone's profile for the first time and say oh they've got 10,000 followers they must be smart and like interesting and like well no yeah maybe or maybe they're just you know on the service for a long time or or look at the, the 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 better example is the reverse of that look at someone's profile and say they only have 10 followers like they they must be nobody like why would only someone have 10 followers and i think that's really damaging Mindset, um, and there's a lot of things that affects follower count. Uh, how long you've been on the service, you know, whether other people have been, you know, retweeting your stuff, or you know, I mean, there's a whole. It's not a measure of quality, is what I'm trying to say. And so, I, I don't want to make it a popularity cus- contest. I don't want it to be just who has the most followers. I don't think that's useful. And so, we'll roll those features out over time, but we're going to be thoughtful about how we do them. And again, right now it's so early. It's like some of that stuff is not necessary. So. I think we're lucky that we have a little time to figure that out, so that we do it correctly.
0: Yeah. So I have, you know, no idea how many followers I have on my blog right now, or how many followers <laughs> anybody else has. But right. you know, I, uh, you know, I, I, I looked and I, I was looking at my list, you know, because I, I followed, you know, my friends, right? And um, you know, I, I was looking at, uh, at at the list, and I'm like, hmm, how do I, you know, how do I do here? How do I, you know, whatever, uh, you know, because people can't. It's it's not so obvious like with the you know there's no followers list or anything like that yet and I'm like I guess I just have to respond to them in meaningful ways and then people will know I'm here <laughs> right I just have to respond and not be lame and then people will you know and it'll work itself out and we'll have a you know and I've uh, you know so I've been like you know responding to, like um, you know different people and talking and it's it's great it's it's really working
1: yeah that's another f- funny thing so a lot of people use uh, likes on Twitter as a way to say I heard you. You know, like, yeah, Mm -hmm. I I get what you said. Or I maybe I agree, maybe I don't. But, like, I'm paying attention. And right now, so Microsoft blog has favorites. Some of this is going to evolve and change. um, But there's no, like, push notification if you favorite someone's post. Um, There's no notification. You can't even see whether someone's favored favored your own thing. It's more like a bookmark. It's more like a bookmark. and In fact, I may rename them to bookmarks. Um, Instagram, I think, again, has done an interesting job with this where they, they have likes and they have bookmarks, and bookmarks are private. I don't know what the right solution is for micro.blog, but I think there's value in both of those ideas, so we'll be thinking about it. Um, but because there's no notification, because you can't like a post of mine and I, I hear about it, you do kind of have to reply. And you know, long-term, maybe that's not ideal, but right now, I think it's great because it encourages people to reply and then, oh, look, now I've discovered that you have an account and I can follow you or reply back. And again, early days, and I think uh, when we're thinking about the kind of community we want, if more people are replying at the beginning, I think that's probably a good
0: thing. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, that absolutely. I uh, li- Like I said, I, I'm just like, oh, I guess I have to respond to my friends. I can't just favorite their... Because th- I thought about that. I was like, I favorite things. And I'm like, oh, this means something different here. Because there's yeah. no obvious, you know, there's no way to see that. Uh, right. You know, so I've just been responding to people and actually like having a, you know, trying to connect with them, like as though I, you know, as though a human would,
1: uh, which is... <laughs> and, the, yeah. Yeah. And we'll improve. I mean, we'll add some of that, you know, for time. But I think, it, again, like the, the, the whole theme through all of this is like, we're not going to add anything immediately just because something else has it. Like if, if there's a really great idea that Twitter had, of course we want that too. Um, and I think the really great idea that Twitter had was short posts are easier for people. <laughs> it's, it's less friction. They don't have to overthink putting a title and a couple paragraphs in their blog post. It just makes it easier. And so that's the number one idea. Um, and everything else is kind of secondary from that.
0: Yeah, no, that's, that's, uh, that, that's great. That, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, so uh oh so last thing about uh well about this topic specifically is I want to ask you about the book. You're writing a book about indie microblogging.
1: Yeah, and the book yeah, it's a little bit late. I thought it would be done by now. Uh one one of the things I heard from, you know, the Kickstarter backers was overwhelmingly people wanted to play around with microblog before the book and uh, you know Running a Kickstarter campaign is kind of a full-time job for a full month, which I didn't realize at the beginning. So originally I I launched the Kickstarter, I hit go, you know, on January 2nd and it launched. I thought that I would spend the rest of January writing the book. That's impossible. Like, there's so much work <laughs> to, to run a Kickstarter campaign. There's no way there's time to do anything else. So, if anyone again is thinking about doing Kickstarter, go for it. But don't think you can do anything else in those 30 days because you can't. So, uh, the book is behind schedule. Uh, I am writing it. I thought it was an important part of the campaign because uh, it's a way to get you know, these ideas of controlling your own content, um, you know, independent. Uh, microblogging, a way to get these, these ideas out uh, and to help people, if, even if they're not using Micro.blog, even if they're just using WordPress or something completely different, and they don't even want to connect to Micro.blog at all, uh, have things in the book that will help them. Um, so there'll be like tutorials and setup kind of tips and stuff. There'll also be kind of a history of blogging and standards and APIs and a mix of like high level f- philosophical kind of stuff that we've talked about on the show a little bit already today and technical stuff. Um, and kind of behind-the-scenes stuff about how um, we built Blog and where we want it to go. So it's not done. Uh, I hope it will be done soon. Um, and, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm probably going to put uh, a couple chapters out as drafts for people first just so that I can deliver something and then follow up with the final version. Uh, and then, as you mentioned, like in the rewards, I'm even doing a print copy. I, I just thought it would be neat to have a printed version of the book uh, as something to kind of... You know, um, for people who love books, mostly, and also because I think it might be an interesting kind of snapshot of how uh, the world is thinking about microblogging today. Looking back later, so uh, let's say fast forward ten years, I think that book might be kind of interesting, even if it's not technically as relevant uh, as it is today. Um, so that that's what I'm working on. It's it's almost a whole separate. Project it maybe shouldn't have all been together on one Kickstarter campaign in hindsight, but uh, that that's the idea with the book, and hopefully I will have some more time to work on it soon.
0: <laughs> yeah, so it sounds like it's uh, you know part manifesto about uh, right. you know, this whole idea and you know thing you're trying to get across, and part tutorial, and uh, you know that's just really unique, right? Because I I would have never. I don't know. I don't feel like I ever would have thought of that. Of like, I want to launch this website, and also I'm right going to write a book about it at the same time. And you know, uh, and uh, that's it's it's kind of it's kind of cool. I'm I'm looking forward to reading it.
1: Thanks. I, I can't wait to to have something to show you.
0: <laughs> yeah. So um, so we're you know this is uh the you know this is a, a you know iOS macOS development related show. Uh, you know that that we're trying to uh, you know run here, so I guess I should definitely ask you about something specific to that. Uh, you tell me about the iOS app, and I guess my first question is that I know you're not. Uh, I've I've heard you say on your podcast, the Encore Intuition, that you are not using Swift at all to write your um to write your app, and I guess my question is. Do you think you're
1: better than us, or <laughs> what? Hey, why do you guys have a problem with square brackets? Come on. It's not, that, <laughs> uh, it's not that hard. No, definitely not better. Worse, really. I'm behind the times. Everyone else is, uh, is, a, is more advanced and ahead of the game. I worked on a Swift project last year. It was really interesting and fun. I learned a lot. At the end of it, I wasn't thrilled with working in Swift. And uh, to, to be honest, right now, it goes back to what I said about just being efficient with my time. And I know Objective C. Uh, I know that I can build an app in Objective C and ship it. And Swift, right now, for me, especially with the way Swift is changing still, like I have just no patience whatsoever for upgrading Xcode and Swift and having things not compile anymore. I have absolutely zero patience for that. So um, it, it's mostly me just wanting to be efficient um, and productive. And the way I can, be productive right now is in Objective C. I still love Objective C. I think they got a lot right. It's not perfect, but I think it's not going away anytime soon. I think I'm still safe to ship an app in Objective C today.
0: I think you're going to be okay. I, uh, I, um, you know, and I, and I love Objective C. Obviously, right? I've uh, I've 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 used it for many years, uh, and I my my current app is all Swift uh, because you know it was a new thing, and I wanted to use Swift. I was the only person working on it, so I thought, why not? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I definitely do miss, uh, one thing on your guys's on you, uh, and Daniel Jowcutt's most recent episode, uh, he mentioned that, uh, when he's working in Swift, he really doesn't like, you know, he goes to the debugger and types, you know, PO, whatever. And mm-hmm. it takes 10 seconds to come back right. sometimes. <laughs> and I, I, I definitely miss that about working with Objective-C. Uh, but, yeah, no that 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 makes a lot of sense to me though that you would you know want to be productive especially because you're trying to do all these different things at the same time and you know maybe it didn't make sense uh, you know Objective C is obviously a great language um, I, I I like the square brackets I think they're cool
1: <laughs> I mean that, that's actually I joke about the square brackets actually for the most part I really like the way Swift looks and I'm I'm looking forward to one day you know being being on the <laughs> on the Swift um, you know kind of full time but it's it's still a ways off and swift is still again it's evolving and changing and uh, i think i real i realized maybe after that project i mentioned last year i kind of realized somewhere in the middle of there when they were announcing that it, uh, there was still going to be source uh, breaking changes i realized that it's just like a little too early for me still and uh, i understand why swift wasn't called a beta i understand why they went to 1.0 and 2.0 and 3.0 because it really encouraged people to jump in, which has made the language better. And, um, but it is still a little bit of a beta language in terms of it's not, you know, a hundred percent, um, like stable, you know, like, uh, nothing's going to change out from under you. And, uh, they'll, they'll get there and like, the problem you mentioned of like delays in the debugger. I have no doubt like Apple will solve that stuff. Like it will be fast. We'll look back in you know in another year or two years and be like, oh yeah, Swift is like it's super fast. There's no productivity problem in terms of the tools. But right now for me personally, it's still I feel more productive and faster. And like you said, I, I'm doing too much right now, way more than one person should have to do. And so if I added also become an expert at Swift to that list, it would be overwhelming. It would just be too much.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one specific question I have about that is, uh, you know, I feel like, you know, you said the community has really jumped on to Swift. And, uh, you know, obviously not everybody, uh, you know, uh, Marco Arment famously, you know, has not used it so much until, you know, more recently started talking about using it more. Um, you and Daniel, obviously, you know, if not. So obviously not not everybody. There's still a lot of Objective-C code out there. Uh, you know, Apple. Clearly has a lot of Objective C code, so Objective C isn't going anywhere. But a lot of um, newer kind of open source things people are publishing are being written in Swift. And have you has that added any challenges for you in you know integrating third party stuff into your code or not really?
1: It, it's uh, it's definitely uh, it, it, what you said is true. Like if you go looking for open source code almost everything that has been written recently isn't Swift. And that's probably how it should be. It's not a big problem for me right now because the blog iOS app is actually pretty small and it doesn't have a lot of dependencies. In fact, it hardly has any shared code at all. It's almost all code that I wrote. And that that's good and bad, but it, that's kind of how the, the app works. I briefly tried to integrate some Swift code and and it was fine. I succeeded in, in integrating it, but it, like that code actually didn't end up Solving the problem I was looking for, so I so I got rid of it. So I'm back to 100% um, Objective C. Uh, I think uh, over time, I think that will become a little more of a problem for for an app like this one that's all Objective C. But for this particular app, it's not a huge problem just because I don't use a lot of open source code. If if I was doing, uh, let's say, I was working on a, a a lot of client projects, and I was the kind of unique thing I think about client work and consulting is a lot of times you're spinning up a new app working on it with a team, shipping it, and then starting the next thing, building up a new app. And that kind of cycle where you're building apps, shipping them, handing them off to the client, starting something new, that uh, you will be held back a little bit, I think, if you can't easily integrate you know, open source code. Because that that's the kind of app that would really benefit from bringing in the work of others to help you go faster. And that's not kind of how I'm working right now. Right now, I'm mostly working on my own my own stuff. I'm doing some client work, but it's not that kind of I'm working on something brand new where I would love to just kick this off kick this off and you know uh, add a lot of open source code to make it go faster. So I think the the open source issue with, with Swift and Objective C affects some people more than others, I guess is what I'm trying to say.
0: That no, that 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 makes sense that your uh you know your your you know your project is smaller and you, you know, keeping it mostly your code as, you know, it should be, right, uh, because I, I think I think the longer you, um, I, I feel like the longer you develop, uh, you know, software, right, the the more you're just like, I just don't want as much other people's <laughs> code, and you get a real, like, spidey sense for, like, yeah. like, uh, this is just, like, a small utility, it's okay, but, like, things that are kind of more integral to your app, maybe you don't, you know, I get a real
1: spidey sense for not wanting
0: to mm-hmm. have too much of
1: that. Um, yeah, I think that's true. I, I definitely, uh, over time, I've really wanted fewer and fewer dependencies in my stuff because it's just it's an opportunity for someone else to break your app which i hate so you know I, I if i have too much shared code in my app um there's a chance that if i'm integrating changes from you know one of those projects or i don't i don't understand how the code works or can't control it when there's a bug I, it's just more opportunities for things to go wrong so there are trade-offs for sure
0: yeah i definitely feel the same way uh yeah, there's trade-offs and you try and get a feeling for when that's going to be a good trade-off versus when this means that every year when they upgrade this library or whatever and change it you know mm. a bunch like my app's going to be broken for a couple days as i right. you know migrate to their new version or whatever which is you know not the super most fun thing in the world and if it's a <laughs> and if it's a small app it makes a lot of sense you know uh, to do that and also who knows maybe this time will be when you get that networking layer really right? <laughs>
1: right. Yeah, I don't want to totally reinvent the wheel when there's better stuff out there, but that's that's my thinking, you know, in a nutshell, is even that, like, okay, this is going to set me back a couple of days. It doesn't sound like a lot, but, like, for me right now, a couple of days of not being able to, like, fix a bug for customers would be, like, a disaster because this is so early and I need to be improving micro.blog every single day. And so I, I even a couple of days delay would be a big problem. Um, So when things settle down, it won't be as big of an issue, of course. I'm not going to be doing new uh, submissions to the App Store every two days. But right now, as more of a beta, where I'm doing Testify builds um, hopefully more often, I I do need to just kind of focus on writing code that I know (laughs) how it works, and I can debug and release uh, new versions quickly.
0: Well, you you hope it will settle down, but uh, you know, actually, maybe in the best case scenario, it doesn't settle down because it's such a runaway success. Uh,
1: you know, yeah, you know, I uh, I hope some parts of it settle down, but yeah. I I certainly hope that it is a success. Uh,
0: yes, absolutely, yeah. and i I think you I think you have a very good chance at that happening. Uh, you're off to a great start. Um, so there, there, there is one last uh, question that I wanted to ask you because I think. I heard you say this, oh man, I think it would have been maybe the first uh what was the conference in Montreal um, <laughs> singleton Singleton It was the first yeah. singleton, and um, I heard you give a really uh like good answer for tabs versus spaces and why you preferred tabs and yeah. I, 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 I just thought, you know, maybe we could end on a, on a controversy here.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely a Tabs person, and <clears throat> it's not – I haven't given up exactly on this, uh, <laughs> this debate, but I bet uh, several years ago I was more hopeful that people would, would come around to Tabs. So the problem in a nutshell is when you have spaces, everybody has to do the same thing. So if you have if you use two spaces for indentation, like every you, you, everyone's stuck with two spaces. And if you do tabs, everyone can set the indentation to be whatever they want. So like you could set you open a file in BBEdit or Xcode or something. You could say a tab is like eight spaces if you really want indentation to be super big. And you know some people find that more readable. And um, so it's, it's much more flexible um, with tabs. Yeah, and I, I I get the kind of counter arguments in terms of mixing like when you mix tabs and spaces like some people use spaces some people use tabs things can get out of whack but i think conceptually tabs just make a lot more sense like there's a reason there's tabs exist and we have <laughs> the tab character and we should use that and uh that's yeah that's the argument in a nutshell i think tabs are the way to go but unfortunately uh, a lot of things have standardized on um, on spaces in the ruby world like two spaces, the default. And if you try to fight that, uh, it's going to actually create more problems than it solves probably.
0: Yeah. I feel like the, I feel like when I heard you say this the first time I went home and thought I'm going to do this and then immediately was on a project with other people and realized I was never going to win this battle and
1: just kept using spaces. Ah, <sighs> that's depressing to me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, yeah, it's, you know, it's the kind of thing that people love to debate or they used to. Uh, the Mac I think traditionally has been a tabs kind of world. Like if you went back to old classic Mac software, I can't, I don't think anyone used spaces. I really don't. I think tabs were what you used. And so I wasn't really introduced to this controversy until, you know, fairly recently, I guess Is like a lot of new developers coming to the platform. Um, I don't know now, I guess, guess spaces are more common, but I think, yeah, conceptually, I think tabs just make a lot more sense and, I have kind of a mix in my projects now. Certainly, I use tabs everywhere that I have control over, and um, uh, the the Ruby stuff on the server is like that's the one place I sometimes compromise and I use spaces in certain cases because it makes working with that whole world easier. Um, But it's it's kind of I personally find it a little frustrating because I don't like two spaces for indentation. I don't think it's enough. I don't think it's readable enough. But I can't use four with spaces if someone else is using two. that just throws everything off. So tabs are the solution, whether people realize it or not.:
0: Good. <laughs> uh, so um all right, so I want to thank you for coming on the show. Uh,
1: you you know, this has been great.: Thanks for having me. It's been fun to talk about.
0: Yeah, and uh maybe tell people where they can find you, and uh yes.
1: Sure. Yeah, so my blog is the, the the most important place. That's manton.org, and that links to you know, email and other things, too. Um, and then you know now, I mean, eventually I'll be linking more to micro.blog, which is micro.blog, and I am Manton on that as well. And, uh, yeah, the other podcast, Core Intuition, is coreint.org. And I actually started another podcast. It's like a short five-minute kind of podcast that I – I'm almost doing every day but actually this last week with the launch things have been so crazy I haven't and that's called timetable it's timetable.fm
0: Great yeah and people should I'll have uh, you know links for all of those different things in the show notes and uh, if you would like to uh, you know if you'd like to follow uh, me on micro.blog uh, you can find me at colin.micro.blog. I also have a twitter at uh, Colin Donnell. And uh, you can follow the show at uh, on Twitter at The Run Loop. Uh, so thank everybody for listening to the show. And thank you, Manton, for coming on again. Thanks for having me on. It's been great.